Welcome, my friends, to another episode of Is That Really Legal? with Eric Rubin. Today, I'm speaking with Morgan Gleedman. She's not your average guest. She uh, comes from a very well-to-do family and then went on a road that none of us really want to go on, involving addiction and other difficulties. She has a memoir that she has created. Uh, To be clear, I represent her. Uh, She's also a prison reform advocate. And you're going to hear about her life and who she is and her journey. And I think you're going to find her to be fascinating. What's also fascinating is getting a handful of Abe's muffins in your hands and putting them in your face. They are allergen-free, delicious, and available where all the good stuff gets sold. Speaking of availability, you can get this podcast sent to you if you subscribe through any one of the many services, whether it be Audible or Apple or whatever it is. Subscribe. You can also review and rate this podcast. That would be very helpful. And if you have any questions about Morgan, myself, the podcast, or just about anything, go to www.isthatreallylegal.com. There's a place to leave me a message, and I will get back to you. I also look forward to hearing your thoughts on other guests that I should have. Um, By the way, are you getting vaxxed? Have you been vaxxed? Did you get your booster? Do it now. Wear a mask. Now sit back, relax, and enjoy my conversation with Morgan Gleedman. Morgan Gleedman, welcome to Is That Really Legal with Eric Rubin. I'm really glad to have you on. Thank you, Eric. I'm really glad to be here. Um, And just uh, to be clear, because I will say it in the intro too, um, we know each other uh, partly because I represent you as an attorney. (laughs) I want everybody to be clear about that. Uh, But I haven't had a lot of chances to literally see you in face-to-face, so that's nice. Yeah. Um, you are... Yeah, welcome to my basement. <laughs> I was going to say you have a drop ceiling, and um, it's probably a very different experience when you, from when you lived in Manhattan. Uh, and part of your story is the fact that you grew up in New York um, and were very visible in arguably the largest media uh, area in the whole United States, the media, media market, mm-hmm. I should say. Um, back when I was an actor, when you would do regional or national commercials, they paid you depending on the regions. I mean, if it's national, you got paid very well um, with residuals. But um, sometimes there would be a commercial that you do just in one specific area. But if it was like Chicago or you know somewhere in the South, that would pay okay. If it just aired in Rhode Island, Uh you didn't make much money. But New York is, I mean, it's known for media. It's also known for tabloid journalism, and it's known for sensationalism. So um, we're going to get to that because that's part of where your story is, which makes you interesting. And in a way, topical, even though a lot of... Well, uh, the stuff we're going to talk about happened, you know, a decent amount of time ago, 
But mm-hmm. because of the media climate we're in, because of the way people are treated by certain aspects of the media, and I just think that the story is incredibly relevant. And because of the issues that you faced involving drugs and other things, I think it's really, it's all still very current. So you grew up in the city. Where did you grow up? Um, so I grew up on the Upper East Side of Manhattan, and I went to the Dalton School, very fancy private school. Um, Isn't that where like um, Mia Farrow's kids went? Yep. Did yeah. you have Did you have and, any famous uh, classmates that you'd be willing to tell us about? You know, I think in my year there were a lot of big name kind of finance people and business people's children. Um, But I'm not, I'm sure I'll remember it at like three in the morning, (laughs) but I'm not, I'm not thinking of any uh, super famous people. Um, But you know, they're in that kind of ultra privileged environment. There was a lot of wonderful shit that happened. Am I allowed to curse here? <laughs> yeah, sure. As if I could stop you. But yeah, go ahead. <laughs> um, for adults only. Um, you know, and a lot of really bizarre, not wonderful things that happens in a place like that. And, you know, I'm choosing to raise my children very differently than how I grew up. We live... Yeah in a very little town in a very rural area in Western New York. Yeah, I know, I know, for instance, Dalton, isn't that where Epstein actually was a teacher? Am I mistaken? Yeah, I've heard that. He wasn't my teacher, thank God. <laughs> but um, I've heard that. Um, but I, I believe I was once outside of Dalton when I don't remember why I was walking there and a fire drill had happened. I'm pretty sure it was the Dalton school. And so kids were outside and a bunch of them were in different outfits from what they were doing for their gym or whatever recreational activities. And some were in fencing outfits, some were in martial arts outfits I mean, it was very, and you could tell the place just reeked of money. The kids, like the kids' haircuts cost more than probably what my apartment was at the time. It was that kind of vibe. It was a very bizarre environment. You know, I am incredibly privileged to, my dad is a cancer doctor um, in Brooklyn and in, you know, going to that kind of school with people who are so beyond wealth <laughs> and what we think of as, you know, wealthy, just a whole new level. Right. Um, me and my friends whose dads are, you know, doctors and moms are lawyers and teachers and professionals. I remember feeling pretty crappy about myself and, you know, because oh my they God, weren't, they didn't we only read. I'm sorry, God. Yeah, because we didn't, you know, uh, my parents are very self-made. My dad is still paying off his student loans. We rented all of our apartments. Um, and I'm incredibly lucky 
But in that context, you know, you're looking at kids whose families own uh, mansions in the Hamptons and they give libraries to Harvard. <laughs> and, you know, so you have a very distorted view of yourself and of reality kind of coming of age in that school, especially, you know, I was always kind of a weird, shy, arty, writerly kid from the start. Um, and that was not necessarily the ideal place for a kid like me. So you were like, you were a kid who were go was going to school with the kids from succession. <laughs> Something like that. <laughs> have you seen that show? Something like that. Um, I have not seen it, but I've seen like a, what's it, teasers, commercials for it? Yeah, it might be a little reactivating for you. I, I don't know. I don't know how I, you feel about I, that sort of stuff. I don't even watch TV and it's not um, some sort of like choice. Like, oh, I'm too good for TV. I'm not too good for anything. Um, it's, you know, I have two little kids and I'm helping my husband run his business and I work full time and I run a nonprofit and writing my books. The only TV I have energy for is every night we put on Rachel Maddow. We call it Goodnight Maddow. And we watch five minutes every night before we fall asleep. <laughs> uh, well, here's my question, because I used to be a big MSNBC watcher. Um, and yeah. I'm not sure if it helped me survive the Trump years or it raised my blood pressure during the Trump years. I, I, I'm really, I have a struggle with keeping up with things, but also getting into the anger porn of certain things. Yeah. Rachel tends to make me less angry. First of all, look, I'm married to a woman and I know Rachel is an out lesbian. There's something about Rachel, I don't mean this in a sexual way, and people can write to me at isthatreallylegal.com and leave me a message. <laughs> but I find her so comforting that I really want, and I'm happy if my wife was there too, just have a pajama yeah. party. Like we're hanging out in pajamas, oh, make too. cocoa and just hang out. Nothing tawdry. Yeah. It's just like, you know, I want to see her in those glasses. Uh, I, I'm betting she makes a mean cocoa. She might even put a little <laughs> a dive of liqueur in it because I know she's a big cocktail person. And, yeah. and just relax and talk about anything and nothing because you know, she's a Rhodes Scholar. She's clearly smart. Um, but, you know, and I like Ari Melber. I don't even know if he's still got a show. I mean, but there are some people who come on and I'm like, yeah, that's right. Like, I'm angry now. Yeah. Like, and then you're like, okay, good night. And you're like, I can't go to sleep now. I have to punch something. <laughs> I don't do well with that. For me, I do a crossword every night when I'm going to bed. That. Oh, that's um, good. Yeah. So I do the Times crosswords on my phone or. I guess the New Yorker, if it's handy. I'm just trying to impress people that I read. You know, yeah, you're way conference. smarter than I am. <laughs> uh, I, I doubt that. Uh, I've read your writing. Uh, but anyway, enough about me. My point is that um, I'm not sure being, I, like, we can get informed, and I am informed. I think people who listen to the show know that. Yeah. But there comes a point where it's like, all right, you know enough now. Like, well, now what are, like, at some point, take some action or share some information. But sitting in front of the same channel for four hours in a row, watching four different people get you angry can be, I don't think it's good for me. 
I don't know about you, but clearly that's not what you're doing. You're doing five minutes with. No, we don't have time for that. <laughs> yeah. So you, so let's go backward. You, you went to Dalton. Yeah. And that's, um, as the stories say, this is where my troubles began. Um, <laughs> and uh, my opportunity. You know, both. Um, so before Dalton, did, did you have any substance abuse problems? I mean, I started going there when I was five. So oh. I sure as fuck hope. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, you're not disappointing. <laughs> um, but well, so for people who don't know, and this is how this is going to be helpful, I think. You, you have a book that I'm currently mm -hmm. assisting you as your entertainment attorney. Um, yeah. You want to tell people what it's called? Currently? Um, so it's a memoir. And it's called Time Out Castle. Right. And the reason it is called that um, is because when my husband, Aaron was in prison, he spent the first six years of our daughter of her life. Um, and so Melly, our daughter, when I would take her to visit him, she used to call it Daddy's Time Out Castle. So that's why, that's how the book got its title. You know, all these old prisons, they, to a little kid, they look like a castle. Yeah, they're usually built of like large field stones or big bricks. And they have the towers, of course, with, you know, yeah, guards in them. Yeah. Uh, and they're usually surrounded by a lot of woods or a lot of parking lots. Um, for people who haven't had the opportunity to go to a prison, it's fine. Don't take <laughs> the opportunity. I've done it professionally. Um, yeah. Morgan's done it sort of a very little bit and all of it, uh, you know, on a sort of amateur level. Uh, although you might disagree, I mean, because visiting your husband, I don't probably know. I'd say I'm, uh, I'm pretty well versed in. We have visited many prisons. Um, and you know, the, the thing that's really weird about it is that even though you know, I'd be taking this, you know, my beautiful, precious little daughter into these awful, scary places, um, it those visits, that's where we got family time. Um, mm. You know, for the first six years of her life, she was only ever with her mom and dad in a room together in a prison. He was, you know, we were arrested when I was nine months pregnant. She was born while I was under arrest. He went, you know, he was remanded. He went straight to jail, straight to prison. Um, I was very lucky and I wasn't. I got a plea deal, um, no jail, but we, you know, we'd go to all these crazy places and then sit in one of these visiting rooms together. And that was, you know, our family time as if it was our living room. And then the day would end and we'd have to have all the tears and the hugging and go back home to New York City. You know, I don't know if this is the appropriate time, but I've, I've been to a lot of prisons, but as an attorney for a client, for yeah. clients, um, and I've seen the family visits. Um, it is... I struggle with the notion that everything they do is just about security. I have the position that a lot of what they do in prisons is dehumanizing and making life yep. difficult 
and punishing everybody. Um, I have very little experience of anyone being um, rehabilitated in any way. There are certainly programs for people, but I feel like um, families, you know, first of all, women are subjected to very invasive searches, uh, pat downs, mm -hmm. sometimes removal of clothing. I've seen people be judged to be dressed inappropriately and turned away after driving for literally hours to get there uh, for yeah. things that I don't see as big infractions. I mean, have you seen all that sort of thing yourself? Oh, yeah. I mean, we've had, you know, we, there was a time Melly was maybe four years old. Um, and, you know, there are very, very few toys or any effort to make children. Sorry, if you hear the baby. It's not a problem. We'll include it. We'll include <laughs> it. It's quite wild. <laughs> um, very few toys, very little effort to make the children feel comfortable, happy, have a positive day. I hear that in women's prisons, it's um, a little bit better and that there is more of an effort with that stuff. But thankfully I have never lived in a woman's prison. Um, but in the men's prisons where we go visit Aaron, um, you know, there are no toys. You have a little kid sitting there at a table all day long. We're trying to make our own fun. I used to get animal crackers from the vending machine and they would be like her little toys that she would play with. Um, and Aaron is a wonderful artist. He comes from a family of artists. They're all incredibly talented. So what they would do is he would get a pieces of paper from the corrections officers mm -hmm. and spend the day drawing really you know we're going to draw a unicorn we're going to draw a house we're going to you know making these little paper dolls and then at the end of the visit though the people who work there say oh no no you can't take any paper out with you you can't take anything with you and for years i would abide by the rules and you know i was so scared especially because you know I have a felony conviction too. I felt so lucky to even be able to visit the right. prison. Um, and I'd always make Nelly, give your papers back. I don't, you know, I know the rule makes no sense. Give your dolls back to the, and then by the end, like there was a visit of one of the last ones we went to before he was released. And I was like, she was hysterical. You know, these kids are dealing with trauma about having to say goodbye to their parents at the end of the day. Sure. And she's crying and clinging to her paper dolls and the whole thing. And I was like, you know what? Fuck it. <laughs> Took the dolls, put them in my pocket, walked out, gave her the dolls, and we still have them. <laughs> she's got those pieces of paper. <laughs> well, that's, I, so I'm much not a big it. fan of breaking the rules, but I'm okay with that. Yeah, I'm yeah, sorry. You know, a lot is um the way the whole system is set up is they call them correctional facilities but they're really not designed to correct anything the worst qualities that could land someone in prison are the very qualities you need to survive in a situation like that and it was a stark contrast you know to see i had Aaron also comes from, you know, he has very accomplished, wonderful, loving parents. Um, he went to prison. I didn't. Um, and instead, I got drug treatment and therapy and to raise our daughter and to get a job and to rebuild my life. 
while he was, you know, living in maximum security prisons and trying not to get stabbed. <laughs> and, you know, it really just within our own family to see, okay, this is the impact it has on someone's, you know, recovery and growth and rehabilitation for them to be in prison, not a good impact <laughs> versus, you know, this is how someone can rebuild if you let them be free. It really yeah. just reinforced all the ideas I all you know, I, I couldn't agree more with my experience and I don't have the experience you have. I have a very distant experience, but I feel like the prisons, like so much of everything we do, are a reflection of the culture. This is a culture that claims to be compassionate, but is incredibly punitive. Yeah. You know, you have people who, and I'm just gonna single it out folks and feel free to write me, I really don't care. You know, they say, oh, Jesus and, and, and forgiveness and compassion, you know, it's Christmas, it's the spirit of giving and love. It's like, oh, that person, lock him away and throw away the key. Oh, that guy, I hope he gets raped in prison. Like, the, I see yeah. people, like, even people who are supposedly the good people, right? The people on the left who are happy when some of the political bad people get thrown in jail and they'll say things about them getting assaulted in jail and how they hope that happens. And I am very vocal and I'm sure I've lost followers on social media saying that is horrible. You have no idea what you're wishing for. And you're, that is people should not be sentenced to assault people, you know, um, in the same way that when we say, oh, that, that black kid was in the street, he's walking the other way, you know, even if he stole a can of soda, that's not a death sentence. Okay. It's the same well, thing. It like, it's not. A- yeah, please go ahead. It really, you know, it uh, bizarrely, given my uh, criminal resume, <laughs> uh, you might think that I come from a family of lawless renegades. Um, you know, but actually I do not. My, my dad's dad was the chief of police in an upstate town. He was shot and killed during a bank robbery. My dad, when I was a little girl was, you know, held up at gunpoint. Like I really grew up being on the side of the people who follow the law. You know, I grew up thinking police are good and criminals are bad. But our current correctional system is not making society safer. You know, there are definitely, and what's funny about it is that, you know, I kind of, uh, I tend to be more of a softy than Aaron, my husband is, and I am all, you know, tear down the jails, build schools, invest in communities. No one should be in prison more than 20 years, no matter what no death penalty. And Aaron, who spent time in some really scary places, he's like, no, 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 no. There are some really dangerous people who I need to, you know, be locked up away from our children. (laughs) And however, you know, if you want to make society safer, throw in a bunch of people together. You know, the activities in prison are doing drugs, selling drugs, getting in fights, gang shit. If you want to make society safer, you know, put them in a facility that has therapy and treatment because the vast majority of these people are coming back out and living amongst us. And it's really not helping anyone for us to, you know, 
throw people into a pit where those kind of the, the worst things about them are what they need to survive there. It's also incredibly corrupt. You know, people are like, yeah. well, once they're locked up there, they shouldn't be able to get drugs. Oh, my friends, the drugs come in. Oh and it's God. not yeah. it's not because some relative smuggled it in and visited. No, no, no. The corrections officers. Yeah, we've yeah, no, I the whole thing, you know, on a societal level and also on a personal level. Um and you know, this is more like his story to tell, but no matter how wonderful it is when someone finally gets out of prison, they're coming out with trauma. There has oh, yeah. been a lot of therapy. Well, you know, I did, you know, interview, in the last couple of years. I did interview a, a great lawyer who only became a lawyer after he did a lot of time yeah. in jail as a drug dealer. Yeah, people can look mm-hmm. it up on is that really legal.com. Um, forgetting his name right now, but just scroll through. Um, and he told me incredible stories about how he had to be a certain kind of person in prison to survive, and he still has some of that. And he still went through a lot, and he was fortunate to be helped out. Oh, there's my wife in the background. Um, that's fine. Um, uh, so, uh, What's that? It makes me, it makes me, of course, very sad and very mad. <laughs> uh, the legal system that we have, um, but I'm really, I'm a very like action-based person. I do not like to sit with angst and discomfort, which is probably why I was, you know, a wonderful superstar heroin addict. <laughs> um, and now instead of getting high, what I do with those feelings is I try and do something to make it better. Um, and so, you know, after we moved here a couple months ago, it's actually like a really bizarre thing because one of the prisons that Aaron was in, you know, they move them around constantly, but one of the places he was in when Melly was a toddler is not too far from our house. So I'll drive by there, you know, and it's, it's always very sensory and, you know, odd to me because it's like, oh my God, I remember the feeling of driving on these same roads with my little kid to go visit that prison. Um, So I started a nonprofit called Take Back Your Story and we're doing many things, you know, supporting, impacting people, impacted people through writing and storytelling and helping people reclaim their narratives. But our first little project was uh, we donated food. We brought some food there for the visitors on Thanksgiving and we raised money for a holiday toy drive. We're going to go bring some toys to all the children who are visiting people there this this Christmas and this Christmas time. Um you know, because I think every little thing, every little action you can take to try and make someone's life a tiny bit better is really the only thing you can do. Um, or else you just get, you know, swallowed up by the misery of it all. Well, how can people get involved in Take Back Your Story? Uh, is there any oh. website or what? What yeah. If they want to find out more, how would they do that? It's um, www www.takebackyourstory.org great that's my website takebackyourstory.org um you can get more information there that sounds like a great thing um 
we're going to back up a second. So you yep. got involved in heroin, which is kind of how it all went bad. I just want to point out <laughs> that um, you're, uh, you're, you didn't come from the wrong side of the tracks, but heroin found you anyway. Drug addiction, kids, I'm sure if you're listening to this, you know this, but I'm going to say it anyway. <laughs> it doesn't know race, color, religion, age. It, you know, when people don't have the ability to handle certain things, um, drugs will find them, alcohol will find them, mm -hmm. or they'll find it. And um, it is, the stigma is huge. And people die. You know, opioids are a real killer for a lot of people in this country. And what's funny, though, it's not really funny, the heroin overdoses really haven't been the story. It's been the man-made opioids that are so incredibly dangerous that people don't realize they can overdose on because they figure it's safe. I mean, they're getting it by prescription. But then, you know, when they take two of them instead of one or take it with a drink or, you know, there's lots of ways to get in trouble. When you, uh, uh, you're the guest, yeah. Um, you talk about in your book, starting out with this stuff. I mean, you've started like a lot of kids smoking weed, I think. And then someone offered Drinking. you. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, but then when heroin showed up, you talk about how that was a game changer for you. Can you share a little bit about that? Yeah, sure. Um, and I, you know, I was not, um, so I worked in the addiction field for many years. Um, and that was a big part of rebuilding my life and kind of uh, me taking all this kind of shitty shit that had happened and turning it into something that I is that a is, is that a term of art the shitty shit is that it's a, a technical, it's a technical term? term yes yes dsm5 um and there's a lot of you know i learned a lot about risk and protective factors and some of them are the kind of obvious traumas that we know about um and you know, parental incarceration is one of them, uh, parental death, divorce, abuse, all these things that I didn't have. I had, you know, my parents were married when I was growing up. I never worried about where's my next meal coming from. No one ever hit me. I was and am very loved by my parents. Um, but then there's also protective factors. And I, I just didn't really have those either, <laughs> you know? Um, protective factors are kind of like a, a shield you can put up around a kid so that when they're developing, they're less susceptible to want to use substances. Um, and these are things I think about a lot with my own daughter to, you know, how can I protect her from making the mistakes that I did? And, you know, one of the things you learn is early initiation of substance use is a really big predictor for, for addiction at any point in life. And I was not one of those kids who was, you know, 11 years old and drinking or 14 years old and smoking pot. I was a dork. Like I was interning for Hillary Clinton and doing Model UN and wearing sweater sets. And I'm wearing a sweater set today 
but I typically am not. It's only because I had a really important work meeting today at the food bank, but um, I was quite, I, you know, I was not out there messing around until the end of high school. Like I, the combination of me really feeling like there was something very flawed and very wrong about this absurd affluence <laughs> that I was, you know, living amongst um, and that uh, the system was unfair and why do some people have so much money and so much opportunity and other people can work so hard and they don't. And, you know, seeing those disparities around New York City, we lived in this little bubble of the Upper East Side, but you know, Park Avenue is not representative of the world. Right, right. But also, and you, let's so not. I'm, I was yeah. just going to ask, though, at least from the way you tell your story in your book, um, hormones played a big part, too. I mean, you uh, let's people were interested in hooking up with people uh, and and, yeah. da and dangerous was sexy and. I don't oh, know absolutely. how that all played into that. My um my kind of rebel counterculture personality really blossomed by the end of high school. And I really, you know, I flipped from being good girl to bad girl. And you know, that dichotomy is also something that's very damaging and not something I'm raising my own child with, you know, you're good or you're bad. No, the reality is we're all, most of us pretty in between and both. But um, yeah, I started getting fucked up and I liked it. <laughs> and I, you know, then I had boyfriends and I had fun and I wasn't sitting home alone studying on a Saturday night. And I went to Wellesley, uh, left there, went to NYU where I, took a lot of writing classes and did a lot of drugs. Um, and then, uh, you know, I, I had been curious about heroin. I knew it was my true North because yeah, I would do all the Coke, but something that just kind of makes you stay up all night wanting more is like not, not my favorite thing, but I definitely did my fair share. And I was, in love with Kurt Cobain, you know, dead Kurt Cobain and all the 90s dead amazing heroes. And it was very romanticized in that image of, you know, the grunge rock anti-hero. And then when I found it, I was like, yeah, this is amazing. It's everything I hoped for. I feel great. <laughs> and I, I didn't get hooked right away. Um, I kind of messed around, did it a little, did it recreationally with a whole group of my friends. There were, you know, several of us who were doing this together. And most of us went on to become addicted to heroin and all thankfully are still alive and recovered, but um, by some miracle. <laughs> and then a couple years later, you know, I'm when I met Aaron, I met Aaron when I was 21 and he had been addicted to heroin. He had been in jail for a fight he had when he was all fucked up. And I, you know, we were perfect combo of good and evil together. 
found someone who loves to get high as much as I do. <laughs> now, so and that, then we were heroin. <laughs> did that assist in your recovery having someone that you are in recovery together? Or is that more like, oh no, it's like two people trying to drag giant rocks up a hill? Um, or something so else? The first couple years, I mean, he was in prison for six years. He's been out for three almost. Um, and after the arrest, I was, you know, he was locked up. I was out on bail, then on probation, fighting to be able to be here and raise our kid. Um, we had one at that point. Um, and I, I, I just, my choices were so stark. You know, I, I tried to do rehab before. I had done fancy rehab, crappy rehab, medication, therapy, nothing worked. And then, you know, I gave birth to a baby while I was under arrest, accused of being a terrorist, which Spoiler alert, alert, I am not a terrorist. Um, and we're gonna get into we're gonna get into that. On New Year's Eve. Um, and it was very clear to me. It was like I do heroin and I go to prison and I don't get to raise my child, or I don't do heroin, and maybe, maybe, maybe I can be her mom. Um and you know, I I was terrified after the arrest. I did anything, any district attorney, any lawyer, anyone told me to do. I was a robot. I did all of it. NA groups, meta, anything you told me to do, I did. And honestly, it was after a couple of years um, that I realized that I'm actually not like a 12-step person. I was going to the meetings and I was sitting there and I know it works for a lot of people but it isn't what worked or has helped me. Um, and instead, you know, I did a lot of really helpful therapy. And, you know, at this point we're in recovery in that we used to do heroin, you know, 10 times a day. And now we do heroin no times a day. And our life used to be a wreck and now our life is wonderful. But the whole uh, recovery persona, or meetings is not a big piece of my identity. I'm just, you know, me. <laughs> gotcha. I just want to, because we dropped it in there um, and because believe it or not, time is flying by. Um, oh my God, I'm sorry. <laughs> no, no, it's not, no, this is great. Uh, I think it's entertaining at the very least. Um, people are going to go, wait, she was accused of being a terrorist. She's a um, terrorist? Well, no, so she's not a terrorist, um, but... Why can you briefly explain what happened that led to your arrest? Oh God, brief. Um, you're gonna have to read the book, Eric. Well, no, I, um... I know, and I'm trying to get people <laughs> to the point where they'll be able to read the book. But let's tease them a little bit about like why would anyone, okay. if they looked at you, they would think mother of one, you know, like she's probably off to a PTA meeting. They wouldn't think that you yeah. were America's most wanted. So maybe <laughs> you could explain that briefly. Yeah. Um, so in 2012, I looked a little less PTA-ish than I do now. You look like yeah. a heroin addict. I looked like a heroin addict, but 
I'll, I'll give it to me. I knew how to clean up when I needed to, <laughs> you know, to look okay. I still could function when necessary. Um, and Aaron, not so much. He was very smelly and Aaron definitely did not look like he was going to the PTA. And he, I mean, I guess in a nutshell, I, you know, December, 2012. So this is nine years ago, exactly. We, I was nine months pregnant. I had a very, very recently only found out I was pregnant. I didn't know for months and months because I was, you know, addicted to heroin and a tiny little person who didn't, you know, being addicted to heroin took all of my physical and emotional energy and the thought that a human baby could be growing in my body was beyond absurd. You know? Right. So, and nine months pregnant, I'm in a methadone program trying to clean up, trying, not always succeeding. Um, and the cops knocked on our door. We lived um, in a walk up in the West Village. Our apartment was quite messy and I let them in. They didn't have a search warrant. They didn't have anything. <laughs> Sorry, um, I can't believe that, but Aaron I believe it. Because I, and and the reason people thought we were, ter- you know, terrorists and accused of all these awful crimes um, is because Aaron had a couple grams of homemade explosives. And he also had guns. I mean, he, he was a gun nut, you know, he had guns. He had a few grams of these explosives, but he'd always had them. You know, he grew up hunting and do, apparently something boys do in the country is they like blow up poop in backyard. You know, he these stories I hear from his teenage years, like they'd- Right, I didn't do it, but I have, I this literally was have like, friends who just like, they liked improvising, blowing things up with, with yeah. legal things, and, kerosene or whatever, yeah. This was, you know, their teenage pastimes was bad. (laughs) And um, I had this stuff for, for months. It wasn't like, oh, he went to the terrorism store and he, he bought some weapons. It had been, it wasn't even something on my radar, you know? And so when the police knocked on the door, I let them in because the only thing I was thinking of was I'm pregnant, I'm a heroin addict, and if there's heroin in the house, oh my God, they're going to call child services and they're, they're going to take my baby. And there was no heroin in the house. So I let the cops in. I, Aaron to this day is like, why do you let the cops in? You know, he, he had to pay more, more dearly for that lesson is, you know, always ask to see a warrant. But, um, yeah, I let them in and they found, they knew exactly what they were looking for. Uh, some, some people who he had done drugs with um I told the police about this when they were arrested for something or they traded they was, traded you know, they traded I, information you know, I was to a get pregnant, sorry yeah pregnant heroin addicted dalton grad doctor's daughter <laughs> like so you were great I, new I york post my, father i mean you made the oh yeah they of, called me mom 
Yeah, for so people who don't know, the New York Post is a piece of crap newspaper owned by a piece <laughs> of crap person in Rupert Murdoch. And um, everything about it is terrible. Uh, this is all my opinion. I think they do good sports coverage. <laughs> but when I see it arrive in my building, and I live in a building with many apartments, uh, I see it and I just can't believe anybody literally pays money for that fish wrapping litter box like lining crap. It's barely yeah. that good. So at least the Inquirer is like, they talk about the possibility of spacecraft landing. The, the New York Post is just <laughs> crap. Yeah. But, and so that's my tirade for a moment. But I will say, um, so they called you bomb mom. They, they, you know, people can look it all up. It's, yeah. But what makes it interesting, in my opinion, and why people I think would be interested in your book, is this is not a strange, impossible story. This could happen to anybody. Like you make a few mistakes. You know, I'm sorry, I, I'm calling them mistakes. You make some decisions oh, in your life. <laughs> yeah, you make yeah. some decisions in your life and you take your Dalton Wesley, Wellesley, uh, Wesleyan rather. Or was it Wellesley or Wesleyan? Oh, no, Wellesley. I went to the all girls one. Okay, I know it very well because I, I lived, in, I lived yeah. down the road from it at one point. Very posh. And, and NYU, you take all of that and you basically throw it out the window for you know, an exciting guy, some drugs. And, and I'm not criticizing you. I, I mean, I think yeah. the story is like, yeah. you made some decisions and suddenly the cops are at the door. And, um, you know, it, rather than say, oh, we really got to take care of this person. You know, people like the New York Post are like, oh my God, she's such a great avenue for selling papers. Yeah. You know, there's that part of it. There's also the part of it, which I'm actually grateful for because I like you. I hope it's okay to say that. I mean, you're a client. I like <laughs> you as a human being. And I think that might have saved your life because you were not yeah. on a great trajectory. And I think you know that. Mm -hmm. So, well, and yeah. it, it's a, you know, it's something I grapple with because it's a, you know, it's easy for me to say, this saved my life, this saved my child's life, because I'm not the one who had to go to prison for six years. Yeah, but you know? it, still saved, I mean, um, it still may have saved your husband's yeah. life, too. Yeah, it, um, we, the way this culminated was actually the best of ways, you know, like, okay, some headlines, it's kind of annoying, it's a little... Uh, dicey <laughs> when mm -hmm. you know I apply for a job and someone googles me but I you know I don't hide it like I've totally embraced it this is what happened this is what I'm doing with it and I I really believe that if that hadn't happened it would have been so much worse you know we would have overdosed and died we would have killed each other we you know something this was not going to end well, you know, and nine months pregnant, addicted to heroin with weapons in the house. That's not, that's not going to go well. Right. Um, and it, um, you know, it really, it, it did. I, I really believe that we would not be where we are right now. You know, our family of four, we have a dog, we have a cat, we live in a little house in the woods. We would not be here today if that had not happened. Um, but I also, you know, every time I say something like that, I need to add the caveat that that is because I 
you know, I went through the legal system as unpleasant as it was. And it was very unpleasant. You know, we had family court and custody. It was, it was a disaster, but I went through, you know, the criminal justice system that treated me with kid gloves. I had a really good lawyer. I had my parents, you know, I'll, you know, take a taxi to court. We'll buy diapers for your baby. I was not worrying about these basic things that so many people in the situation I was in would, you know, be crushed by. And so I always, you know, the arrest saved us, (laughs) but I don't think that uh, arresting people to save them is a good way to do it because most people going through that system, you know, I had the DA and the judge looking at me and seeing, you know, oh, she's a nice Jewish girl who got into a bad situation the world is better off with her, not better off without her. Right, but if you were Puerto Rican or black or or whatever. My kid would have been in foster care. I never would have seen her again, and I'd probably still be in prison. I really appreciate that you are clear, uh, number one, about that you had the privilege. And number two, you're not afraid to share that you're clear about it. And that you, you know, through this book, I think you show a lot about how this could happen to anybody and how unfair the system ultimately is. And I feel like it's a really great opportunity for people to see through your words uh, what maybe we need to do or where we can start. You know, I know I saw them on Reddit. Angela Davis wrote a book about abolishing prison. And I keep meaning to get to it. Like I'm not busy or anything, um, but uh, <laughs> but you know every time there was a time in the past where you would say abolish the police or something like that, and people would lose their minds. And now, yeah. after seeing footage of New York cops running protesters over, um, or you know uh, people getting shot to death for no good reason, um, people are saying, well, maybe police aren't. If not abolishing, maybe they're not the answer to everything. You know, it's like it's like when somebody says, I need help around the house, you come over with a chainsaw. It's like, well, if you need to clear a tree, fine. But if, if yeah. you need me to help you tidy up, the chainsaw the is, the, is just not helpful. Yeah. Um, and I feel like, unfortunately, the experience, at least here in New York City, uh, has yeah. been that we have chainsaws and cop cars. Um, and yeah. I know it's a very broad brush thing. And then, you know what? Feel free to contact me at isthatreallylegal.com. I'm happy to engage with people about this because, you know, uh, it's a conversation we need to have. Are all cops bad? No, of course not. But we're seeing things that we should not be seeing. Um, and we need to do better. All of us need to do better. And I feel like your book yeah. is part of that effort where you're saying, hey, look, here's my part. Like you're not saying, oh my God, I was a victim. You're like, oh no, like I did a lot of oh, no, stupid no. stuff I to get me there. Victim. I was yeah. a, a perpetrator, participant, driving force of the downfall. It no, but yeah. it um, you know, and the thing is, like, if what happens when we arrested people, you know, is okay, we are going to give them a house, a safe place to live. We're going to give them food. We're going to give them therapy. We're going to give them work training and support. And yeah, you have to go check in with your probation officer, but your PO is on your side. We're here to help you. 
that's what I got. I got the Morgan Gleedman package. You know, at first it was very dicey. It looked like we had a lawyer. I remember I was, it was like New Year's Day. My baby was one day old. I was, you know, under arrest in the hospital with a police officer and a handcuff, <laughs> a handcuff to the chair, <laughs> so I can run away. I don't right. know. Right. I remember they thought that I was part. Yeah. Freshly <laughs> delivered a child, which anybody who knows yes. anything about that knows. I couldn't even walk. Yeah. Yeah. Emergency C-section going anywhere. And this lawyer came and said to my parents, oh, mazel tov on the beautiful grandbaby. It's a shame your daughter's going to prison for 20 years. Like it was very bad. <laughs> That's not the lawyer we went with. The lawyer we went with was a gem and a magician. But, um, you know, what I ultimately got that was like this, you know, Morgan Gleedman package of every opportunity to recover and get my life back in order. And instead, what we do to people, you know, it costs hundreds of thousands of dollars, literally several hundred thousand dollars a year to keep someone at Rikers Island. It, wouldn't they be better off if we gave them like a damn house and a therapist? <laughs> I think we'd you all know, be better off. They did. But it's it's the thing that, um, yeah, there's something in this culture that demands that we punish people. It is incredibly punitive, um, even to the point where. Yeah. I don't know how much you remember doing this. I do, uh, some of my work is obviously showbiz. I talk about that, but some of my work mm -hmm. is criminal work. And clients who want to get a hold of me, I have to call using a service. One of them is called Securus. And they charge oh, ridiculous amounts. Well. <laughs> they charge a lot for phone calls, a lot. Yeah. And they make it very difficult. And to reach customer service is literally impossible. Um, yeah. So you can spend $25, $30, $50, $100 very quickly on phone calls mm -hmm. that probably cost $0.05. Cents. Um, somebody's uncle is getting very rich. Um, there's so much Many. of that. Yeah. Um, it's just so much corruption, uh, so much punitive action. We really need to cleanse the whole situation there. And I hope that people will ultimately, we're trying to get your book to people so that they will be able to see <laughs> that. Um, I think it's an important story and it's an entertaining story. I'm sorry. I, I know you feel that way too, but I don't no, want people no, no, to no. think, you know, it is entertaining. It as um honestly as almost like a really dark comedy because it's like a, a very dark comedy about heroin and prison, you know? It um there were a lot of parts that were really funny in a very irreverent way. And you know, absurd. So many things about, you know, something that was interesting is because, you know, I always had this, I, you know. I had studied writing in college and that's what I was into. And then when I was strung out and kind of living this alternate reality, like I was taking notes on things. I was very aware of, you know, this is a really bad situation, but I'm also kind of getting to experience like this, this whole other world that I'd never get to see. And I'm on this, uh, not for tourists journey, <laughs> you know, right, it's great and material. It's like Hemingway totally going to war. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Just hope you make it out, you know? <laughs> right. I'm 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 sorry I interrupted, but I'm reaching the point where we're gonna have to wrap up. Is there anything yeah. that you're like, 
I know we barely scratched the surface of a lot of stuff. Is there anything where you're like, oh God, I needed to say this and I didn't, or, you know, I'll happily have you no. back on more than, um, You did. You're a wonderful conversationalist. And I mean, I had nothing that I was like, oh, I need to talk about it. I just wanted to talk about whatever you wanted to talk about. Well, thank you. Um, you have been entertaining, informative. And um, like I said, we're going to have you back on. So uh, people should look forward to that. So anyway, Morgan Gleeman, thank you so much for being on Is That Really Legal Thanks. with Eric Rubin. I really enjoyed it. Thanks so much, Eric. Have a great night. You too. You've never met anyone like Morgan, have you? Fascinating. Sorry about the sound quality. Morgan was calling in from the middle of freaking nowhere. And her Wi-Fi is based solely on magic and Eye of Newt. Stuff like that. So it's a little different than our big city Wi-Fi. Are you subscribing to the show so that you don't even have to think about it? Do it. It's available on everywhere where fine podcasts are available from uh, Audible to Apple to who knows whatever. Just get it. Also, please rate it. It helps people find it. If you like it, if you don't like it, tell me why at www.isthatreallylegal.com. You could also tell me why you like it. And while you're doing that, make sure you eat some product from Abe's Muffins. You'll be glad you did. We're going to keep coming to you. Please wear a mask. Make sure you get all your shots and boosters and don't sneeze and cough on people and do whatever is being asked to keep you, your friends and neighbors safe. Okay. We all appreciate it. Take care of yourselves and we'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye.